0: Hey, fam. I'm Allie. I'm a compulsive over here. Hi, um, Allie. It's really good to be home and to be in this room. Uh, so welcome home to everybody. Um, um, I was born in New York, but I was raised in these rooms, and this room in particular, and I came into program... Ten years ago, um, just spiritually, morally, financially, completely bankrupt, um, and over the course of working the twelve steps, numerous times, and um, finding a higher power that loves me so much he can't take his eyes off of me, and just saying yes to whatever the universe is put in front of me, and just being willing. Um, I am free of food obsession today, I'm free of body obsession today, Um, I'm happily married today, and I'm seven months pregnant today. (laughs) Um, And these are all dreams of mine. These are dreams of mine that have, that are coming true, that have come true, that are continuing to come true um, because of this program, and it's truly the only reason. Um, And... A lot of people have asked me this week, like, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here in L.A.? I've moved to Boston um, since I got my recovery here. Um, I lived here for 10 years and um, moved about almost five years ago, which seems so crazy that it's been that long. I feel like the pandemic kind of froze time in a way um, and sped it up all at the same time. But um I was here for the birthday party and stayed all week to just have some time to myself before this baby comes and whenever there's kind of a big thing, transition that's about to happen in my life since I've moved, I come back here and I come to in-person meetings and I see all of you and I just get to have this touchstone. And I shared this at a meeting earlier this week, and, you know, we're not supposed to have um, heroes in in these rooms, but everyone here is a touchstone for me. Like, I know every single one of you that I've had moments with, and these are touchstones of growth for me from when I used to go to Hill Street in the morning and we would sit in that room and with these glass stained windows and it was just magic. And like, that's where I found my higher power was in those rooms. Because when I came in, I didn't believe in God at all. I was of the mindset of like, where was God when this happened? Where was God when that happened? And God made me fat. Like, screw you, God. And whenever I had the opportunity to make a wish growing up, it was, please make me skinny. Please, 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 God, just make me skinny. And that's not my wish today. Today, my wish is, like, let me be present. Let me be here now and just grant me the willingness to carry out your will, whatever that may be. And my higher power has really evolved over over time. Um, and it's this loving energy that kind of is like this big teacher who has this great grand lesson plan for me and just reveals in his time what I'm supposed to learn and when I'm supposed to learn it and when I'm supposed to show up for it and how I'm supposed to show up for it. And for so long, I mean, I came into this program truly, truly heartbroken um, and fresh off of a suicide attempt. And for 10 years until my now husband came back around the question for me was always, like, where is he? Where is he? Why Why is he not here? You know, like, I'm getting older. My clock is ticking. You know, where's my child? I'm a newborn care specialist and a nanny by trade, and I've raised so many of other people's children, and when was it my turn? And over time, you know, through working the steps, and especially when I got to step 11 and just... You know, God, what's your will for me? What is your will for me? And just grant me the willingness to show up for it and to carry that out. And I truly believe, you know, with the experience that I have today, that God always had my person and God always had my baby. It was just waiting. He was just waiting for me to be ready for them and for them to be ready for me. And if my husband would have come back into my life, any minute sooner than he did if i would have had this baby or gotten pregnant any sooner than i did um i don't know if i would have been able to handle it and my higher power doesn't ever give me anything that i can't handle he only puts what i can handle in front of me um but yeah i'll just kind of talk about what it was like what happened and what it's like now um I grew up in New York, and the joke is that my father is, like, the dentist who loves candy. And so he he was the one who taught me how to hide candy. Um, I would always find candy in his glove compartment, and it was always, don't tell mom, don't tell mom. Um, So he's the one who, you know, got me into sugar and um, taught me how to hide food and that it wasn't okay to eat food you know um out in in public um at least sugar in quantities and so i started to gain weight as a little kid and um the first time that i really went on my first diet i was 13 and um, because I had this other friend who was, in my eyes, just perfect. She was so perfect, and I wanted to, the boy that I like liked her, and it was just, it was my opportunity to get skinny, and I did. Um, and when I got to my goal weight, I was 13, and that very same week, I was sexually molested by some random guy in um, a park that was close to my home. And um, I was so young, I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, But I was assaulted. And that day, it kind of clicked to me, which was revealed to me much later in (laughs) therapy, that, you know, and I gained the weight back really, really, really fast. Um, And the message was kind of sent to me that this happened to you because you looked a certain way. And so if I had this weight on my body, I would be safe. No one would approach me. I would be okay. Um, But I was really, really unhappy um, and started to self-harm because I was so upset with my body physically. And um, the negative self-talk just got really, really, really loud. Um, And that was one of my first suicide attempts, it definitely wasn't the, um, the last, but it was one of the first when I was on a teenager, and, um, and then the, in high school, (laughs) all of the popular girls asked me to go on their spring break, and so I was really overweight at the time, I was diagnosed with obesity, that was the first time, and my nutritionist at the time was like, why don't you try OA, and, um, she told that to my mom and she told me, she's like, oh, we should go to one of these meetings. And I was like, absolutely not. That's not happening. And, um, but when they invited me to go to on spring break with them, I was like, I'm not going to be the fat girl on this trip. I'm going to get skinny for this trip. So I joined a commercial weight loss program, lost all the weight in my senior year. And, And kind of like the high school dream came true for me that year. I was um, captain of the cheerleading squad. I I started dating the captain of the football team, but I didn't know how to keep the weight off. I was like at this place and it was great, but I was really hungry. (laughs) I was just really hungry because I wasn't really eating much. So um, my friend introduced me to cocaine. So I was like, this sounds like a great idea. This is fantastic. Let's do this. So I started doing that for a summer. Um, and it just got really expensive, really, really fast. Um, I blew about five grand up my nose that, that summer. And, um, And I I did keep the weight off, but I couldn't really sustain anything else. And after, you know, like one, and I was smoking cigarettes, I'm like 18 years old. It's like, ugh, this is, and I was feeling gross. And so after kind of a a bender one night, and my, I was, I just felt awful the next day. I was like, I can't keep doing this. This isn't the answer. So I stopped, went to college, um, pledged a sorority got mono. That helped me keep some weight off too. <laughs> but then discovered um, the the dining hall and smoking pot. And so that helped put the weight back on. And this whole time, the negative self-talk was just still there of like, you're fat, so you're not okay. You're fat, so you're not enough. And you need to be more. And, and just like, embellishing and telling lies to make you like me and, you know, to be bigger than I really was. Um, And, and it never, it never felt really good. And I was always just lying and cheating and, and stealing, whether it was, you know, figuratively or literally. Um, But none of it was, none of it was spiritually congruent or morally (laughs) aligned in any way. And, um, and I finally got my, he wasn't my first boyfriend, but one of my first like legitimate boyfriends in, um, in college. And I had put a lot of weight on at that time and he caught me cheating on him. And, oh, I, I had cheated on every boyfriend that I had ever had because for me, I was so physically insecure That if you showed attraction to me, then I was okay. I was okay. Um, And I needed you to validate me physically and, you know, however. And... He really, really socially ostracized me, and it, he was really the first boyfriend that was like, you can't do this to people. This isn't okay. You can't just cheat on people. You can't hurt people like this, like, and just kind of gave me this rap sheet of all of the things that were terribly, terribly wrong with me, and it shook me to my core, and I got so down on myself um, and thought that I was this awful, terrible, terrible person, and I banished myself to the gym that was my punishment to myself. And the guy that I was in love with at the time um, left for, in a abroad program. And that semester, I was like, by the time he gets back, I'm going to be skinny. And I was really overweight when they left. And I was like, if he comes back, I'm going to be really, really skinny. And they're all going to be like, wow. And I just wanted to wow you. That's all that I wanted. I wanted to make your jaw your drop because that would validate me. And I did it. I banished myself to the gym. I ate nothing but, like, steamed broccoli and, like, boiled chicken and smoked cigarette and pot for an entire semester. And sure enough, when they got back, everyone was like, whoa. Like, But it wasn't like, whoa, you look so great. It was like, whoa, what happened? Like, are you okay? Um, and, boy, did I love it. Oh, I loved it. (laughs) It's like, oh, you think I'm sick? You think I'm not okay? Like, I've arrived. (laughs) Um, And then him and I ended up getting together, and we got into even more drugs. And oddly enough, that was kind of the first time where the food wasn't really an issue for me. I wasn't constantly thinking about the food. I wasn't constantly thinking about my body. Um... I was just so blissfully happy with him and this imaginary fairyland that we lived in together. I was doing so much acid and ecstasy that, like, I wasn't really on this planet. So it didn't really register, um, and that helped keep the weight off, too. But um, when we ended up graduating and moving out here to L.A., I was ready to settle down, and he wasn't. And um, he broke up with me, and I didn't see it coming, and my fairylands, rainbows and butterflies and flowers just turned to black. Everything just turned black. And I went down a really, really, really deep, dark spiral, um, and I just ate. I ate, and I ate, and I ate, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to stop it, and I kind of went through this, the, you know, five stages of grief, and I tried to, you know, destroy his career. I tried to, I slept with all of his friends to get back at him as if that would, like, make him want me back, and um, just did all of this terrible, terrible stuff. I pleaded with him. I bargained with him. It was just very, very dark, um, and the food got really, really big. Um, and one day I woke up and I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't look like this anymore. And I stepped on the scale and I had put on, I had weighed more than I'd ever weighed before. Um, and I went home after weighing in at that commercial diet program and I tried to kill myself. that was the last time that I tried to commit suicide. Um, and my roommate came home from work early that day and found me and took me to the emergency room where they pumped my stomach and I was so mad when I woke up I was so angry because I just didn't want to do it anymore I didn't want to live and um after kind of going crazy because they wouldn't let me have a cigarette in the ER, um, (laughs) I knew that they were going to put me on a 151 hold and send me to um, psych. And my second thought after waking up was like, well... At least they're going to control my food, and this is my opportunity to get skinny now. (laughs) That's what this disease has done to me in the past, and how crazy it makes me, and how obsessed with my food and my body I was, and how I just needed to be skinny to be okay. I needed to be skinny to be of any worth on this planet. And um, spoiler alert, I did not get skinny in psych. (laughs) I put on more weight. Um, because I just couldn't stop and I didn't understand. I didn't know why I just couldn't stop. And every single day it was like, I'm not going to eat today. I'm not going to eat today. Today is going to be the day that I, you know, don't overeat. And I just couldn't keep the commitment to myself and I didn't understand why I just didn't know. And, um, And the food just kept on getting bigger and for every meal that I had eaten I I started a new job once I got out of psych and I moved and I came back to LA after doing treatment in New York and um, I would go I would leave my apartment go to a drive through for breakfast, get to the office, everyone would, like, order breakfast together, and then I would go across the street to Starbucks and get a third breakfast. And then the same thing would happen for lunch, the same thing would happen for dinner. And it was just never-ending, and it got to the point where I was having, you know, sugar in my bedside table. um, And... I was just so depressed, and I called my mom one day, and she was like, why don't you just go to an OA meeting? Just try it. Like, you literally have nothing to lose. Just go. Because I was like, I don't want to live. I don't want to do this. I was on so many medications. I was miserable. She was like, just go. I was like, all right. I really have nothing to lose. So, I walked into my first meeting at Mount Olive. It was an all-women's meeting on a Tuesday night, and... Um, I still remember the very first speaker that I heard and I walked into this room and there were all of these like really cool girls and they were all hugging each other and they were so happy and like beaming and I was new. So like, hi, who are you? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, why are you guys so happy? (laughs) Like this, like I'm fat. Like, why are you being so nice to me? Um, And I just heard the speaker share about how she used to rush all the garbage when she would have a binge and how she would have a binge in her car and like go to the dumpster around the corner to dispose of the remnants of her binge and how she would, how she like missed her brother's, you know, very big graduation or event because she had to stop at Starbucks and get the, get the Frappuccino, get the thing. Um... And how she just hated herself so, so much. And how she spoke to herself. And I was just like, I can't believe that. Like, I just thought that this was who I was. Mm -hmm. I thought that, like, this is how I've been speaking to myself my entire life. And I had no idea that other people did this too. And that I wasn't, that I wasn't alone. And then hearing everyone else's shares and thanks. And um, just getting to to just identify and so I jumped right in um after my first meeting and I established my abstinence which at first was um no seconds no fast food no binging and no self-harming and um very quickly I kind of like jumped into the center of the herd and was going to meetings all the time I started working the steps and um I stopped binging and I stopped having seconds and I stopped doing all of those things, but I also stopped eating. Um, and so over the course of like four months of being in program, I kind of, lost the sight of a higher power that I was like, oh God, is giving me so much willingness. And I was going to the gym all the time. I was waking up at like 5 a.m., going to the gym, and then going to Hill Street in the morning, and going about my day, and then going back to the gym at night, and um, started doing two-a-days. And then I was going in the afternoon to the gym. And so I kind of swung to the other side and developed anorexia and an exercise addiction and um, lost about 70 pounds in four months, my first four months of program. Um, And I was fainting all over Southern California. And um, so I had kind of taken my third step at that time and started working with a new sponsor. And I was so sick, I lost my job and um, having to ice my knees every day because I was running so much and I had seven different trainers at all different gyms and I was a part of three different gyms because they all did something different for me Um, and landed myself in an outside residential eating disorder treatment. Um, And when I got out of that, um, my sponsor was like, maybe we should do Step 3 again. (laughs) And that was kind of really where um, things shifted for me. And I really found my higher power's voice versus my eating disorder's voice, and knowing that they were not one in the same at all. Like, my higher power wants something that's so balanced for me and so loving for me, Um, and my eating disorder just wants me alone and wants me dead and wants me unhappy and is this very, very rigid thing where it has to be a certain way, Um, and my higher power doesn't have me have, you know, anxiety around food or food behaviors and... I really had to learn that, like, the food can't hurt me. It's my behaviors with the food that can really hurt me. Um, And I started to gain, you know, serenity around all of that. And when I started to really work the steps and do my moral inventory and turn all of that over, and step six was really the most illuminating for me because it was where I learned that I liked being sick. I liked being the patient because when I was sick, my parents would come and save me and I wouldn't have to show up and I wouldn't have to take responsibility for my behaviors, for my actions, for anything that I did. Um, And it was time for me to grow up in this program and start living by the principles and, you know, taking service commitments and starting to work with sponsees and, Having a sponsor that was truly my moral compass and my, like, wise owl. And she just wouldn't let me get away with anything. And when I started to, like, spin out and float away, she's like, Oh, come back here, little girl. Um, And it helps me so much. Um, And that I just don't have to do this thing alone. Um, And just what else have I realized in program? Just growing up so much. Um, and through like a series of, you know, also perfectionism is something that I really had to look at and learn to let go of in, um, my sixth step too. And, you know, moving into step seven, I call it the pause and pivot step. So when I'm going into perfectionism, or when I did, I mean, I'm definitely a recovering perfectionist. And, um, and I really just started to truly believe that my weight didn't equal my worth. And today, my recovery is not based on any number. It's not based on what the scale tells me. Um, I don't even know what I weigh today. <laughs> I don't step on the scale, and when I have to go to the doctor to weigh in, I turn around and I tell them, Don't tell me, it's none of my business because I really don't care. You know, my recovery today is based on how I show up in the world and what my relationship is with myself. And, um, my abstinence today is three meals with two optional snacks. Because I'm pregnant, it's sometimes three optional snacks, depending. Um, but I can eat whatever I want today. It just stays on one plate, and it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the food doesn't make me a bad person. There's no morality attached to it anymore, um, And I get to just, I get to show up and I learned how to sit through discomfort and how to do hard things and how to have difficult conversations and just start to gather this sober evidence that like, I'm okay. If I sit through the discomfort and I do the hard thing, like I'm still going to be here and you're still going to be here, even if I'm not perfect. And, you know, an experiment that I did when I was, um, when I was kind of going on this, committing um to starting recover from to recover from like the perfectionism I was like I'm going to actively start to show up imperfectly so I would have dates with these guys and I was like I'm not going to do my makeup today for this date I'm not going to do my hair for this date tonight I'm not going to like wear my skinniest outfit from this date tonight um and they didn't all go running for the hills Like, some of them I had a great time, and, like, the other really cool thing that I learned in that course of recovery, um, you know, in interpersonal relationships was that I never had to change for anybody, and no one ever needed to change for me. It was just, are we a match? And I got to make this list of, like, these are the qualities that I want in a partner, and if you know, so-and-so doesn't fit these qualities, it doesn't make them bad and it doesn't make me bad. Or if I don't fit their list, it doesn't make me bad. It's just like if I'm a strawberry, let's looking for a strawberry and they're an orange, it's just not a fit. It's just not a fit and it's nobody's fault. Let's just find the thing that fits. Let's find our puzzle pieces. And um, my now husband came back into my life 10 years after we had lost touch, and I was about, I think, seven years into recovery, and um, I love LA, my heart is here, my soul is here, my recovery is here, my family is here, you're my family, and um, he was in New York, and so, and he was finishing up um, some schooling there, and I was of an age, and I was just, and he was just like, come be with me. Um, and I was like, if this is, if this is real, I want to give it a real shot. And the prayer was just, God show me. And just being willing, I never wanted to leave LA. Um, but I had to see, and I just had to take a leap of faith and, and God show me, just show me and grant me the willingness to show up for whatever your plan is for me. Um, and it wasn't a perfect ride. Um, I am an Al-Anon now. <laughs> um, which is, you know, another gift is that, you know, we the, the road narrows, and for me, the narrower road was like, um, maybe having another program would be great as well. Um, and And I love him, and he accepts me for everything that I am and everything that I'm not, and vice versa. You know, we're not perfect people, Um, but we get to love each other so, so, so much, And, um, and I get to show up today as a woman in recovery and... You know, he keeps me on my toes. He is not in recovery. (laughs) Um, But I truly believe that God gives us people and God gives me an opportunity um, every day to show up and to teach me new things and to give me new opportunities. And there are no mistakes in God's world. And everything happens for a reason. And I am exactly where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. You know, the acceptance prayer um, is truly, um, you know, part of my heartbeat and my pulse too. And I just get to live in gratitude and acceptance today. You know, it's, it's not wrong. And when things get too big or too scary or too, you know, whatever, and I start to veer off and, you know, I talked to my sponsor about it and she's like, you know what to do, you know what to do. And I do know what to do today. Like I know to make a call, I know to pray, I know to have faith in my higher power, and in whatever the plan is for me. And I just get to show up for it. Um, so thank you so much for letting me share and for being my family.